Welcome to Practice Care with Carl White, the podcast where we help practice owners in healthcare know just enough about the business side to make good business decisions and keep their practices independent. Now our host, Carl. The life cycle of any practice is pretty much the same. You launch, you build, you scale, and you exit. However, each stage is only going to happen how you envision it if you make good moves, and making good moves is not automatic. My guest today coaches chiropractors on how to make these moves well, but really his advice applies to just about any practice out there. I'm Carl White, principal at Mark Advisory Group, which is a healthcare marketing agency, and I'm also the host of Practice Care. And the mission for both is the same, and that's to help private practice owners stay private. Not only is that what they really want, but let's face it, care is better when the provider owns the place and has the most freedom to make the clinical decisions they think is best for a patient. Unlike when they're owned by somebody else, whether it's a hospital health system, private equity, whoever it might be, usually, eventually, their agenda starts to whisper in the ear of the provider. Sometimes that creates a compromise situation between you and the patient, and let's just try to keep them out. Today, my guest is Dr. Stephen Franson. Dr. Franson is the founder of The Remarkable Practice, an innovative coaching and consulting company that helps, that helps doctors of chiropractic create a remarkable practice as part of a remarkable life. He's also the co-founder of Cairo Matchmakers, a specialized placement service that matches the right chiropractor with the right opportunity. A sought-after international speaker, author and teacher of chiropractic business success, you can read his best-selling book, The Remarkable Practice, A Definitive Guide to Creating a Successful Chiropractic Practice. Franson graduated from the University of Vermont and Life Chiropractic College and opened Franson Family Chiropractic, which became one of the largest wellness clinics in the world. Stephen, thank you. You're a busy guy. It's clear you're taking some time to come on practice care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired just listening to that, Carl. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a little out of breath, but uh, we'll rally here. No, that's we'll rally. great. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thanks for the invitation. It's a privilege. I'm excited about today's conversation. Me too. Me too. Um, and I want to start Typically, I start with with uh, with guests saying, "Hey, just fill in your bio a bit." But there was a more specific question. I, I was reading your bio, going, "All right, this guy's super successful as a chiropractic practice. Why not just stop there? My God, it's got to be exhausting." But no, you said, "I'm going to add all this other stuff too." So, <laughs> help us get to know you in the context of everything you've got going yeah, on. <laughs> it, it's it's such a great question, you know. And you like, know, why would I, you do this to yourself? You know, <laughs> contextually, I've never been asked that question before in 20 years of doing different interviews and speaking opportunities. So it's, it's a great, congratulations. Man. That's a great question. Um, all right. So, you know, my wife is a chiropractor as well, Camilla. So Dr. Camilla Franzen, um, she and I have been together for, uh, 30 years now, which is incredible. Uh, and we met like the first week of a, you know, four year chiropractic program. So the grad program. So, uh, we've been through everything together. So, you know, we, um, started the original remarkable practice in Boston, uh, and which is where I'm from. She's from Sweden. Uh, we agreed we wanted to be able to take care of each other's families and um, we weren't going to go to Sweden. So we set up shop just North of Boston okay. uh, and uh, we actually inspired her sisters to become chiropractors as well. And uh, so wow. we got one of those back at home taking care of her family. So, uh, you know, we set up this original shop uh, in Beverly, Massachusetts. Uh, and our vision was clear. We wanted to, create a place where families could find a better way to better health. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were so blessed. I mean, we just, we love the work and we love to work, which can kind of be a double whammy. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, we shared a purpose and a mission and a vision 
And we've never known anything other than working together and just being driven on purpose and, and loving our profession, loving what we get to do every day. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, you know, we, we're really committed to patient education and equipping people um, with what we call the double-edged sword. We give them back hope uh, and we increase their expectations around what's possible with their help, with their health and what they should expect out of their health. That's, that's the one side. The other side that's is we give them back, we give them back personal responsibility, right? So um, we equip them, we teach them uh, how the body really works and how the body really heals and how much their behavior matters. So of course we start teaching them all the start doings and stop doings of the healthiest people in the world. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, that, that, the whole chiropractic principle of the body's designed to be healthy and healthy is normal and your body's intelligent and your behaviors matter. Um, and the body heals from above down and inside out. And mm -hmm. our problems come from inside, not outside. And our solutions come from inside, outside. That whole principle was a big part of our success. Um, we're great at systematizing everything. Um, so uh, the business of the chiropractic business is just like any other practitioner listening here. It comes down to five domains. It's attraction, conversion, retention, team building, and collections, right? So it's attraction, which is marketing and lead generation, conversion, which is your sales process of compelling people to invest their limited resources of time, energy, focus, and money towards your uh, services to get the results they want. There's mm -hmm. retention, which is delivery, which is creating value and delivering excellence and creating value through your care and longstanding relationships, keeping your patients. And then there's team building, which is the my favorite material and the trickiest part of this whole thing, which is surrounding yourself with a team of A players. Uh, and then finally collections, which is the finances and making the money work. So mm -hmm. a big part of our success was systematizing everything, surrounding ourselves with this world-class team. We created this awesome training culture. Uh, we like to say we train like lives depend on it because they do. So we were really committed to, to training and developing our people so that we could delegate and we could leverage our people and create real scalability and durability. Uh, and so the business group. So I think the audience here probably has a sense of like what a typical chiropractic practice is. So I'm, I'm going to use some numbers here, not to, not to impress anybody, but to make it, to, to sure. make an impression on what we did maybe. So, you know, the average chiropractic practice, for example, in 2019 saw 87 visits a week. Our practice was seeing over a thousand visits a week. Uh, and we did that for years. Uh, wow. So, you know, we had this, this beautiful 18, 20 year run, uh, where we were just building, going, growing. And at one point, you know, it's like we had added all these associate doctors. I had 39 associate doctors over a 17 year period. Uh, not cause I'm a terrible boss and everybody quit and I had to replace them, but <laughs> it, we had, a, we had like an apprenticeship where they, we would groom them, you know, they'd come in as a, as a tech DC, and then we'd make them an exam DC and then a junior associate and then a senior associate, then we'd launch them. So we had this beautiful system in play. And don't worry, I'm going to answer your question here because <laughs> at one point we had just maxed out. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was young and strong and I was just like, okay, what's the next iteration here? Um, and I was thinking about multiple practices mm -hmm. and my wife who knows me better than anybody in the world and who's just brilliant said, um, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> you're a, <laughs> you're a control freak Clydesdale you know, perfectionist, you know, having multiple clinics is a terrible idea. You can't sleep at night and you run this place. Right. So she's like, you know, you should be a coach. You should coach people. If you want to make a bigger impact on humanity and you feel like you've maxed out and you got more rubber on the tires, you should become a coach. That's why all these associates come okay. to you. You love to coach and develop 
humans and, you know, to be successful humans and chiropractors to be successful chiropractors. So it was her no to me opening multiple clinics and the yes in the direction of becoming a coach, which is where my coaching program, The Remarkable Practice was born. Okay. And there it is. And so now you're up just as late, just doing different things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so much more scalable and so much more durable. Yeah. Uh, we're almost infinitely scalable. And, you know, I, honestly, Carl, I, I feel like I'm blessed. Like, I feel like twice in my life, I've been able to say, I'm doing exactly what God hardwired me to do. Like, I felt like that when I was working with patients in a clinical setting in the, in the clinic. Mm -hmm. uh, and now working with doctors who are working with patients. And I'm working with other coaches. Like, I've scaled my coaching group as well. So, and I have 12 coaches that coach you know, we're, we have thousands of doctors in our system all around the world. And, you know, so we've just taken our system and we now have just reproduced it through all of these practices globally. Nice. Uh, so the impact now, you know, now we, you know, we see a million patients instead of a thousand patients, which there is you just go. awesome. Nice, 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 nice. All right. Um, thank you for that. And I want to get into the topic and I want to start just by defining a few terms and you know, build scale and exit, right? Because although they sound obvious, if I lined up 10 people and said, what do you think you know, the definition of that is we get more than one and that's a problem. And so for the context of our discussion here, when you say build, scale and exit in your system, what do you mean? So um, I created this construct called the four seasons to organize the conversation that all of us business owners, all of us practice owners are always trying to have. I think probably outside of healthcare, these same conversations happen with entrepreneurs and business owners, specifically sure. small business owners, I think. Yeah. Right. So this construct, the four season essentially says there's four seasons to your career. Let's call it the chiropractic career, but it's your career. If you're listening to this, you most likely it's going to resonate. Um, there's launch, build, scale, and exit, right? So um, those are the four seasons that are available to you as a business owner. Um, and I say the word available very intentionally because, you know, truth is, is that most small business owners try to do it in three. And it, really? And 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 it, and it gets ugly, right? So the, you know, doing it in four is the key to all of this, right? So launch, build, scale, and exit. Launch is your first year out, new practitioner in a new practice. So like build is when you're an established practitioner, an established business, but you are the owner operator. In other words, you are the sole practitioner and you are the one that's head down, bum out, taking care of the patients, right? So that's a beautiful season in your life beautiful season in your practice. But the challenge with that is you don't own a business, you own a job as much as you might love the job, right? Mm -hmm. So businesses are scalable, they're durable, and they're eventually transferable, right? So we can probably double back and unpack those concepts as well. So yeah. build to scale is when you start adding multiple practitioners, multiple providers, right? So that's where you go from scalability to durability, right? So sometimes it's partnerships, more often it's associateships. And then you go from scale to exit. Exit is the period where you're creating your exit strategy and you're looking to make a graceful and profitable exit. So getting a sense of like your legacy play and, you know, what, where's my successor, my buyer, et cetera. So launch, build, scale, and exit. And so the, they try to do it in three. What's the one they don't? Well, you probably guessed. You know, Scale, um, right? every, everyone has to launch and everyone has to exit, right? So it's true. <laughs> it's like death, taxes, and exiting, right? So yeah. those, those are things that <laughs> you can't avoid, right? So uh, though most, most practitioners try to go, they go launch, then they go build, and they spend an entire career in build, and yeah. then they try to exit, 
Okay. And build does not exit well because nobody wants to buy your job. Right. And it's a hard, and there's not much left when you leave, right? You're, you're the, if you don't show up every day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the big trick, what we do really as a business, as a coaching business is we teach all four seasons. We have, it's programmatic. We have experts and programs for each of the four seasons to help navigate and optimize each of the four seasons, but it's really launch with an eye on build and build with an eye on scale and scale with an eye on exit. Um, so everything that, you know, our, uh, our mantra is about focusing on building to scale, right? So moving into scale is, is, you know, as quickly as possible because scaling when, when you build, you know, when you get into scale, you've actually taken the job and turned it into a business. And when you do this, well, people will compete to buy that business. And, you know, that makes your exit so much, you know, more graceful and profitable, right? So, yeah. you know, when people are listening to this right now, they might make the mistake of saying, oh, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not, I'm not exiting my business for, you know, another 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever. But listen to me when I say this, you know, the expression, the best time to plant an oak tree is 50 years ago. Uh -huh. The next best time is to plant it today, right? So building it to sell it is the concept that should drive nearly every business decision that you make. Uh -huh. Yeah, because what's sitting behind that, I think, is the idea of recurring revenue. Let's just call it the cold, hard you know, number. And, and recurring revenue, uh, if, if you are the sole practitioner and then you retire, uh, the recurring revenue engine just stopped because you're the one who is generating it and you're not there anymore. And so there isn't, that's when you say job versus business, that's what you mean, right? Well, I mean, let's expand on that a little bit. So there's a, there's a difference between reoccurring revenue and recurring revenue, right? So we're advocates of what is called ARR or annual recurring revenue or mm -hmm. MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue, which is a subscription-based healthcare model, right? Okay. So um, our doctors have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars coming in on an annual recurring revenue on a monthly basis, right? So that's a subscription based model. And when it comes to exiting, I thought you were going in that direction, which was interesting to me, is the multiplier or the valuation on your business will be exceptionally higher yes. if you have a recurring revenue model or an ARR model, right? So yeah. that that's an interesting conversation. You want to go there. But really, the yeah, I, I didn't even between, think that far ahead. But yes, I see what you mean. But it's super sexy. It's yeah. a great conversation, honestly. Yeah. And, and if you need fuel, in your fire to say, oh yeah, I want to go the hard easy and I want to get on the other side of this scaling so that I can actually enjoy a better exit. We can have that conversation, but mm -hmm. let's do the distinction between build and scale is really important. So the build to scale is taking the job and turn it into a business. And the difference between a job and a business is businesses are scalable, they're durable, and they're eventually transferable, right? So let's break that down. Scalability means you've learned how to get more done but it doesn't have to be done by you, right? So that means that you've learned how to leverage other people and systems and technology and communication, right? So that's actually being able to make a bigger impact and a bigger income, but it doesn't have to all be by a pound of your flesh in an hour of your time. That's scalability. Right. I think almost everybody listening to this right now is living in that space. We're like, I'm trying to optimize my scalability and that's mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. But what nobody talks about is durability, which is the ability to make a bigger impact and a bigger income even in your absence. Mm -hmm. Okay, where if you were to take you out of the picture, what would happen to the business, right? So durability implies leverage, right? So durability answers that very scary question. What would happen to your business if you took 90 days off? Right. 
right? So a true business, when you achieve durability, implies that you've got leveraged um, marketing, which means leveraged lead generation. So if you took 90 days off, your leads would keep coming in, mm -hmm. okay? Leveraged sales, which means if you took 90 days off, the conversions of new patients, the sales would continue. If you took 90 days off, you'd have leveraged delivery, which means that you, if you took that time off, you would continue to deliver healthcare, deliver value and capture value. Same is true for team building, same is true for your financial flow, your money flow. So durability implies that you have achieved leverage across all four of those or all five of those domains, excuse me, um, and that you could take 90 days off from your business and the business would continue to go and grow. Right, right. Understood, understood. That's um, the gold standard. Yeah. And so if most people either, you know, confuse build and scale or gets, you know, they, they, they get stopped somewhere in there. Cause you're right. You're going to launch, you're going to, you're going to die or retire or whatever. Those things are coming. What are the most common struggles that get in the way within making the jump, I guess, from build to scale? I mean, I was on your website, you know, there's all the, about, uh, not enough patients, too many drop out early. They don't finish treatment marketing. I just, I was reading this going. I could see myself or I could see a lot of people saying chicken and egg. What do I do first? Where do I take the leap? Where do you see them kind of struggle? Another great question, Carl. All right. So um, <laughs> I try. let's just go back to those. <laughs> let's go to the construct. You know, you're in build and you're trying to go to scale. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's the chasm that people are trying to get across. Um, let's look at the, let's look at back to the same domains. When we talk about attraction, conversion, retention, team building collections. So in attraction, you know, if they're trying to go from build to scale, the problem with most people when they get stuck is they try to do all their marketing themselves, right? So, you know, they're trying to be, you know, on the weekend warriors and staying up all night trying to figure out, you know, paid traffic and their website optimization and SEO and their content marketing and they're managing all their social and their email marketing and they're trying to do it all themselves, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like that, that is not leveraged, okay? So you can get really stuck in that position. You should see internal, external, and digital new patient leads coming into your business. Internal would be referrals from your organic, you know, mm -hmm. having people send more people, internal campaigns, you have promotional campaigns uh, for referrals, and then also process-driven referrals. That should just be part of your marketing machine, right? So mm -hmm. then you have external marketing, which is everything you do outside of the practice that's offline, right? So this is your signage, this is corporate wellness, this is your... Um, referral groups, this is networking groups, paraprofessional referrals, this is outside talks, dinner talks, spinal screenings, uh, you know, corporate yeah. wellness, et cetera. That's all external marketing. And then there's digital marketing, which you should just have a team of contracted, you know, fractional digital marketing experts that run the different components of your digital marketing. That would be an example of attraction and being leveraged. If you're not leveraged across those things, you're just choking the inflow of leads into the business. Mm -hmm. right? So when it comes to conversions, uh, you might be the only one who does any type of like sales process in the business, whether that's, hey, I, I start all the new patients. I do all their day one, day two intakes and give them recommendations for care. And I, you know, so I do the report of findings. I do the recommendations for care. I do the financials, right? So you've got to make sure that there are multiple people on your team that are capable of doing those things so that when mm -hmm. you, when you do take a vacation, that the whole business doesn't screech to a halt as far as new business development is concerned. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you can mentally take that shift, people think selling's a, a a dirty word, right? So if you're on purpose and you know you add value to people's lives and they are better off with you than without you, if you can mentally get on the other side of that, mm -hmm. then just take take that turn that concept of selling into solving. 
You know, Mm -hmm. the purpose of a business is to solve a problem for another person. We add value by solving problems. So get super clear on your value proposition. What problems do you love to solve that you're really good at? What promises can you keep and solve problems? That's, that's sales, right? And then there's delivery, which is making sure that you are leveraged across delivery. You're not the only provider, you know? So the truth is, is that 70% of doctors, all doctors, all healthcare providers, 70 to 75% of you do not have the cognitive profile to be an entrepreneur or be an owner. 75% of practitioners should never own their own business, right? So, and I know that sounds harsh. It's not harsh. It's love because I work with so many people that are brilliant clinicians and hopeless business people. And at the end of the day, they're hardwired to be brilliant doctors and awesome, giving, loving, serving doctors that are excellent in their work, but they're just jammed up because, you know, they just struggle so much on, you know, owning a business and running a business. So we, as business owners, if you are entrepreneurial, we have a responsibility to create environments where people are going to be more successful with us than without us. And so if you're the entrepreneur, I'm talking to you right now, your job is to create an environment where people are better off with you than without you. Right. So that's how you create leverage delivery. And then when it comes to team building, making sure you have a hardcore operator, an office manager or a COO in your business so that you can lead the business and they run the business. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when it comes to finances, be leveraged across your sources of revenue and profit. Mm-hmm. So no one source should be more than 15% of your inflowed revenue or profit. So if you've gotten addicted to some insurance program that sends you everything or some attorney group or you know some referral, it's very um, dangerous. You're exposed if you have some, some one source of business that's more than 15% of your revenues or profit. You want to be more diversified across that. Yeah. I love all that. I mean, you know, as you lay it out, it's all of it's pretty much inarguable, right? I mean, sales is lead gen makes a ton of sense. It shouldn't be all on you. Sales makes a ton of sense. Nobody likes that word. I always viewed it as let me help you prospect X figure out if I'm a, if we're a good fit. And it's kind of going both ways, but let me, what's, what's an advantage? What's a disadvantage? Where do we fit? And if we don't, if we don't fit, fine, let's find, my mindset is clients like, let's just find that out now for everybody in this conversation, because it's going to suck if we screw this up. So why don't we just find it? It's going to be terrible for both of us, frankly. Awesome. It's going to be awful. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you drag them in, you're going to have to drag them around. Right. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, I would stand in front of a group of lay people, you know, prospective patients who were checking us out and I would do health talks. Right. So, and my mindset through the entire talk before I stepped up in the stage or whenever I was speaking was, I know that if these people would simply do what I'm telling them to do, their lives would get better. I just know that. Right. So that, so that was my absolute commitment. And it was my innermost dominant thought whenever I was speaking, people would pick up on that certainty. Right. And it's the same thing now working with, all these practitioners and providers is we have a dialed in proven system. If you will trust me and put this in place, you are going to get better health outcomes or better Mm -hmm. business outcomes. So I know when I'm talking to a podcast right now, it's like, I know if you would just do what I'm telling you to do, you're going to get better outcomes. So it doesn't feel like selling at all. Right. So, but we absolutely have to promote those things that we know we, we can, you know, we can help people. Yeah. There's this, I can't remember the movie. And I, it was so long ago when I saw it, but I think of this is this is the type of salesperson never to be. It was kind of a funny scene. The movie takes place somewhere in the 1960s, and so this guy's literally a vacuum cleaner salesman, and uh, it's the it's the pro and the apprentice and the you know the the wife of the house. That's that was the context back then. She's looking at it. She's interested, but she's like, you know, it's it's too big and heavy. I don't know how I would deal with this upstairs. 
and the the pro is stuck he doesn't know what to say and the apprentice just says well then you need two one for upstairs one for downstairs and it's like carl don't ever do that don't even approach that that's the worst you could be it's like my reminder you know and and the other part that i like what you said was risk management right i mean a lot of people think of that they think oh my god i've got this awesome i've got a client right now she's freaking out appropriately so because one referral source is 40 to 50 percent and she talks and she's you know so you got you got to diversify i mean she happens to be in this like office park where there's lots of other potential referrals and there's something stuck go meet them go introduce yourself carl will you do it no because they don't want to meet me they need to meet you eventually <laughs> so me paying me to go sit in their lobby no it's they get to meet so anyway it, yeah it all we makes... call that a boss right that's you now yeah. work for that group right so that's it, having a boss correct correct so maybe you answered it but is this the stage where most people get stuck is it going to scale and 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 why you know why there i think um if you don't make the leap from build to scale Mm -hmm. then going from scale to exit is even harder. Okay. But if you yeah. do make the difficult leap, which is the hard, easy, right? Do the hard part of actually building out a team that's executing world-class systems so that you can bring in other professionals and you could lead a team of professionals, even if it's one other, right? Mm -hmm. So even if it's one other, it's an absolute game changer, but I love the three doctor system. I mean, that for lots of reasons, I don't, you know, it's probably outside of the scope of our conversation today, but I love the three doctor system, right? So then you're not beholden to just one associate. If something goes sideways with them, they quit or you, you know, they get pregnant or move away or whatever, whatever happens, whatever it is, that, yeah. so, you know, you're pulled right back in. Right. So that's not really having depth, right? You're like one, you know, mountain bike accident away from being back in there, you know, and yeah. you're, you've got a job again. Right. So if you have two, um, you're not beholden to that one, mm -hmm. you know, nobody can hold you hostage. It's a healthier environment with leverage and you've just created greater scalability and durability. It's a win, 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 win. And if you set your numbers up properly, it's um, properly, it's wild, wildly profitable. Um, you just have to know what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to understand the, the mechanics uh, and the finances associated with how to do that right, which again is a different conversation, but people are afraid of it. Um, the truth is, is it is hard and, you know, but the question I have to ask you is, is what you're doing now easy? <laughs> I mean, what you're no, doing now is- No, but it's known hard. and comfortable, even if painful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I never doubted that people would tolerate a lot of pain before making a change when I started my company. Um, yep. But now that I see it, I just, I, I guess my eyes are opened by sometimes the amount of pain that somebody is willing to take because they understand it and they've kind of baked it into their daily lives. And it's it's a powerful force. Yeah. and. And it's illogical as well, right? Because, you know, worst case scenario, you can actually always just go back to that. <laughs> yeah. If that's, you know, it's like, if it doesn't work out, then just go back to what you did before. That's fine. You already have that. That's that sort of degradation is, is passive. It'll just go back to that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but the, but the thing that you should pay attention to is those people who do make the leap, they never go back. <laughs> They're like, yeah. yeah, I'm never gonna, <laughs> you know, I'll never not do that again. Like yeah. as soon as you, like if you build out like a three doctor system, meaning that you may still be a doctor delivering clinical care as an owner, that's awesome. You may completely pull yourself away and be the CEO and decide that I'm going to focus more on marketing conversions and team building, whatever you want to do, whatever your unique calling is, whatever. I never left clinical care when I owned a business and owned a practice. I love taking care of patients. So I, it energized me for everything else, you know, but you might, you might step totally out of clinical care, but a three doctor system means at least two people are actually delivering clinical care, you yeah. could be the third doctor that 
maybe you cover when they're on vacation or if they're right. on a seminar or they're traveling or there's a sick day, whatever, right? So it just creates um, depth. Uh, and it just, you know, for me, one of my core values is um, peace of mind. So I love, I love freedom, peace of mind and abundance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, freedom, I will spend my abundance to gain my, my freedom and gain my peace of mind. So I want to have the freedom to be home for dinner time and bath time and bedtime, right? I want to be with my family, right? So mm-hmm. I want to know my children. I want to stay married. I have an awesome marriage. I want to stay married. Mm-hmm. So I'll use my money to buy my my time freedom back. Mm-hmm. And peace of mind, I'll build a bigger team than I actually need so I have depth, so I don't have the exposure that comes with losing a key player. And that's what keeps people up at night. So yeah. um, I sleep like a baby uh, and I would use my, uh, I use my abundance to create a, deeper team than I need. So if I lose somebody, somebody else slides in. I call it the shark's tooth approach to team building. Tooth gets knocked out. Somebody else slides in. Yeah. It sucks. But next, that person's already trained up. They slide it's risk in. management. It's how you choose and to manage every, the yeah. risk. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't lose momentum. That's what's expensive. Yeah. How would you compare, you know, clients who go through the, who, who go through the four seasons successfully versus those who do not, how would you compare and contrast them? Well, I think that's probably too big of a, um, let me zoom in a little bit. Sure. Um, so the the docs who struggle going from build to scale, the, their biggest struggles um, are most likely um, they lack systems, right? They, mm-hmm. they have systems that they do, but they don't have reproducible systems. So they have systems that they do that like, oh, I, I kind of make it up as I go. It's like, ah, actually, it's not a you system. Know, the, <laughs> the king of wing has a has a job, but they don't own a business, right? So it's like, they probably have a system that they follow, but only they know it. It's not written down anywhere. No one else could reproduce it, right? That's not a system, right? So mm-hmm. the system is reproducible. Um, it's captured, you know, so that you can delegate it, right? And you can assign it to somebody else. So that's really, that's probably a big pitfall is that they don't capture their practice and their business in systems and keep their process and procedure manuals, their SOP um, current, mm-hmm. right? So if you don't do that, um, then it leads to the next two things, which is um, you can't delegate, okay? And you can't keep A players, right? So there's 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 the three-step process where everybody falls down, right? So it's like, oh no, I have my systems. So it's like, okay, so if you don't have systems, then you can't delegate to somebody else to do it. So now you're stuck doing everything. So now you have a bunch of support people that support you while you do the things that make the stuff, right? So it's like, you're still, you have a job, but you have support around you, but you're mm-hmm. not delegating. So you have no scalability and you definitely don't have durability. If you don't have systems and you don't delegate, you won't be able to attract or keep A players. So A players like autonomy, they want to be awesome at what they do, right? They want to give me a system, make sure I'm totally clear, set my expectations and agreements, I want to know what role I'm in, what are the behaviors and what are the uh, responsibilities organized underneath that role? How is success measured? What are my key performance indicators or my metrics? Give me my scorecard. Give me my goals. Give me a reporting system for visibility. Give me meeting rhythms for accountability, right? So that's what A players want, okay? Mm -hmm. And if you have the systems and you become a master delegator and you use scorecards, reporting systems and meeting rhythms, then you can attract and keep A players, right? And we all want A players, right? So 95% of our problems are people problems. Right. So if you're tolerating B players and C players, the terrible news is A players won't tolerate B players and C players. So now you'll lose your A players 
and you'll be surrounded by B and C players, right? Yeah. So um, that's really the, sort of that three-step process. Systems, the ability to delegate, and the ability to surround yourself with A players. Is there a point at which it's too late to to start your system? Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, if I, I, I ask that just say, in case somebody's thinking, oh, I've missed the window, you know? Yeah, no, if somebody's like, I have to exit by the end of the year, that's that's what we call an emergency exit. If you have less than 12 months, then there's some things that you can do to button up and just kind of like make sure you don't beat, get beat up and hurt too bad, okay? okay? Ideally, if you have somewhere around two to three years before you want to exit and, and sell your business, there's a perfect window there where you can you can reconcile the deficiencies and toxicities that I just described, right? Okay. So, uh, and we actually have a, that's what our remarkable exit program is. We teach people how to do that, right? So how to optimize your business so you can get the highest price for it and you can, you know, mitigate some of the exposure that comes with taxes, et cetera. So that's, to, to answer your question, when is it too late? If you have a two-year window, most docs can actually take their practice and turn it around. I call it taking a pirate ship and turn it into a battleship. That's <laughs> finally just productive and profitable. And then they look at you and go, I don't want to sell this now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's the goose that lays the golden egg. Now they're like, well, I'm not going to sell it now. I'm yeah. like, awesome. Now you have an appreciating asset that's going to cash flow and it's going to be worth more in five years. And it's going to throw cash off to you this whole time. And then you're going to get a bigger asking price for it. So it's a win-win-win if you do that right. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. Thank you for that. And um, a couple of wrap-up questions that I ask uh, every guest. The first one is just to cover our tracks here. Anything you think I should have asked you, but just didn't ask you? Um, yeah, you know, I think. I think and we covered a lot of ground, so maybe not. But yeah. if there's something, let us know. I think we really did. Um, you know, I I, I want to make sure that we, people don't mistake these as just good ideas, right? So it's not just concepts. And, you know, our, the reality is, is like, you, you sort of asked it with that last question, like, when is it too late? It's just like, where do I start? You just start where you are. Yeah. Okay. And just give yourself a break. Like this is wicked hard. Business is wicked hard. Healthcare is wicked hard. Yeah. Leading a team of people is wicked hard, right? Marketing is wicked hard. Sales is wicked hard. All of this is hard. Okay. So mm -hmm. give yourself a break uh, and just recognize that, um, you don't have to make this up. You don't have to discover or figure it out. Like this, you know, this is the classic, don't try to try to, you know, recreate the wheel, right? So there are systems and processes. There are coaches and programs that will resonate with you. So find that coach or that program that resonates with you. Don't waste a brain cell or a day trying to make up systems, processes, procedures, how to build a team, how to train your team, how to delegate, like, all of those systems are perfected. They're, mm -hmm. there's, they're, they're, they're proven models that work with all types of personalities in all parts of the country and all around the world. So if you're going to spend any time, just spend time trying to figure out which system you're going to employ, which coach you're going to follow and just adopt it, right? And then the second thing is, is to apply yourself and just be consistent, right? So consistency is the new intensity and the most Amen. successful people in the world are consistent, right? Yeah. And the best businesses in the world are boring. Uh, my friend Rick Sappy always says, the, the goal is to get as, to, as close to monotony as possible. The closer you get to monotony, the closer you get to success. Let your private life be exciting and sexy. Let, let your business be boring yeah. and have the discipline that it takes to stick to the fundamentals, keep it simple and master being a business owner. Yeah. 
Amen on consistency. I'd say this in marketing, but it's true everywhere. I'd rather see you pick one or two things and do them consistently than start six things, but finish nothing. You know, death, absolute death. Cool. And then the other question uh, I'll guess get is, so we've caught somebody's attention. They want to get going on this. Where should they start? A couple of practical, simple things. As soon as they're done, as soon as they're done listening, what can they do? Uh, So I I have a gift that I brought for you guys called the scorecard. Um, This is not my idea. It's not a new idea, but it's an awesome idea. And it was really freeing for me once I started to adopt the scorecard. And the scorecard is a way for you to be able to communicate to everybody on your team. You're in this role. And in this role, we've organized all of your responsibilities and all of those responsibilities are measurable. And those measurements are called metrics or key performance indicators. And because you're in this role, these are your responsibilities. These are your metrics, right? These are your numbers. And you pick three to five of those numbers for them to focus on in any 90-day period, like a quarterly scorecard. And you help them understand this is how this is measured. This is what you can do to influence this number. This is why you own it. This is the benchmark, which is where we're starting this quarter. This is the goal, which is where we're going to end this quarter. And then when you and I get together, this is what we're going to talk about. Okay. So the scorecard is so powerful, Carl, because it takes um, one thing that really frustrates an owner, a business owner, is it is the busyness and overwhelm associated with their team. Like, oh, they're already so busy. They're already so overwhelmed, right? So the scorecard creates focus and focus is what makes the difference between busyness and productivity. Mm-hmm. And none of us want to be busier. Your team doesn't want to be busier, but we all want to be more productive. So this mm-hmm. tool, this gift I'm giving you comes with a training around it. We'll have a link to is like a video that trains you how to use it because that's sure. a whole training in its own, but it's there for you. And if you can adopt this into your business, it's going to force you to look at your systems. It's going to force to you, you to look at your team. It's going to force you to delegate and create reporting systems. This is inherently a reporting system and meeting rhythms where you come together and you're talking about it. Just this scorecard, if you can dedicate yourself to doing this consistently, will will move your uh, the needle in your business in an incredibly profound way. Perfect. And then just a, a follow-up question on that. So prior life was in corporate America. I, you know, you could drown in scorecards. And the beauty of a scorecard is when what's put on it is somewhere between reasonable and stretch. And man, oh man, I've seen a lot of, you know, well beyond and too bad for you, Mr. Recipient of Scorecard. Now you own this and you got to do it. Do you, do you talk about, you know, the t- not the type of metrics, but what's what's the balance of, you know, reasonable versus stretch versus where's the sweet spot? Absolutely. So, you know, going upstream from that is it's A players only period, hard stop, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have to have A players on your team. Anybody who has resistance to a scorecard or a KPI or a goal is not an A player. A players absolutely require, they don't want, they require KPIs and goals and they want to be stretched. It energizes them. So if somebody is balking or fighting you on that, you know, make sure you're being a good leader in the way you're presenting it and you're on the other side of them trusting you, et cetera. This is, again, it's a bigger conversation, but, right. but if, if you're talking to an A player, just think about yourself, doc. If you, if you think of yourself as an A player, you have to have metrics. You want numbers. You want goals, right? So it energizes you. You want everybody on your team to be aligned that same way. But I know your question was, you know, the goals. How do you set those goals? You know, I love the classic SMART goals. That it's, that's 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 a great you know guide guideline for creating goals. 
I want them to be stretch goals, right? So, but I'm also, um, I want my team winning, right? So I want, I want them to quarter by quarter by quarter have the momentum that comes with winning. So I'm setting goals that we can, that we can smash quarter after quarter after quarter, because then that becomes the culture of the business as we're just winning and winning. Uh, right. And ultimately, if you set up the model of the business properly, then it's a win, win, win. Everybody wins. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, thank you again for coming on Practice Care, enlightening on this hugely interesting. It makes a ton of sense as you lay it out. Um, well, so thanks for coming if, on. If, if your listeners loved this conversation and you want more of this, uh, they can follow us on the Remarkable CEO for Chiropractors podcast. So perfect. Um, it's we're talking about chiropractic all the time, but the truth is we're talking about business. Like this yeah. conversation, you know, if you got if you got value out of out of this conversation, this is exactly the conversation that we have on the Remarkable CEO podcast. So check that out. Uh, if there are chiropractors listening and you're like, man, I'd love to learn more about what you guys um, do in a live setting. We do six seminars a year. We do three in the United States, three in Australia. Um, our next one is our Remarkable Attraction Immersion, uh, which is our marketing and lead generation immersion. Uh, mm -hmm. That is in Phoenix in October, October 6 and 7. If you are listening from the other side of the world in Australasia, um, we'll be in Adelaide, Australia, uh, October 27 and 28. And that's the Remarkable Attraction version. We'll put links down below in the show notes for everything. Yep. So Carl, it's yep. my pleasure. Uh, I hope we added a lot of value today. You definitely did. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. So yes, he's right. We're going to get Stevens, all of his contact info in the show notes, those links, a link to the scorecard also in the show notes. Anybody who wants to follow, contact, download, you're going to be able to do this, do so. A couple of points before we uh, finish up. First, uh, if you have an if you're a practice owner, you've got an experience on the business side of the practice that you struggled with, overcame, think is important, and want to tell other people about it, so they can benefit from it. Or if you're somebody like Stephen or I that seeks to serve private practices, and you've got some expertise you want to share, please, we want you to come on and do just that. In the show notes to Stephen's episode, every episode there's a link, a couple of questions, tell us what's on your mind so that we can get you scheduled as soon as you can. And finally. Subscribe to Practice Care, a new episode every week. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, all the platforms. Um, don't wait for new episodes so you can stay up to date. Thanks very much. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Practice Care with Carl White. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.